This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Bob Iger returned as the boss of Disney, less than a year after he left the theme park to superheroes behemoth. Mr. Iger, who previously ran Disney from 2005 to 2020, replaces Bob Chapek, who lasted less than three years. The firm's share price has nosedived this year as investors fret over its expensive foray into streaming services. That division lost $1.5 billion during the past quarter. During his previous tenure, Mr. Iger was credited with turning Disney into one of the world's most formidable content and technology powerhouses. Three and a half million residents in Beijing's most populous district were asked to stay home from Monday in a bid to contain rising COVID-19 infections. China's capital reported nearly 1,000 new cases on Monday, a day after acknowledging fatalities for the first time since May. Parts of Guangzhou, a giant southern city, were also locked down. The government recently eased some COVID control policies. Ukraine came close to a nuclear disaster as shells hit near reactors and radioactive waste storage facilities at the Zaporizhia power plant on the weekend, according to the International Atomic Energy Agency. Russia and Ukraine blamed each other for the attack on the facility, which is in Russian-controlled territory. Vladimir Zelensky said that Russian forces launched almost 400 strikes on eastern Ukraine on Sunday. The football associations of seven European countries told their captains not to wear one-love armbands, promoting sexual equality, at the World Cup in Qatar. Players had been prepared to pay fines for doing so, but FIFA, football's governing body, threatened yellow cards. Gay sex is illegal in Qatar. The tournament opened on Sunday with a 2-0 drubbing of the host country by Ecuador. Kasim Jamat Tokayev, Kazakhstan's president, won another term by a landslide after calling a snap election. Mr. Tokayev was handed power in 2019 by Nursultan Nazarbayev, who had ruled for 30 years. The new president has tried to distance himself from his patron by pushing through reforms, pursuing oligarchs and giving sanctuary to Russians fleeing conscription. He did, however, quash political protests mercilessly in January. Turkey's defence ministry said that its warplanes pounded Kurdish militants in both Iraq and Syria. The attacks were conducted from Saturday night into Sunday, exactly a week after a bomb planted in Istanbul killed six civilians. Turkey blamed Kurdish groups, all of which denied responsibility. American-backed Kurds operating from Syria reported that 11 people were killed there, including a journalist. A deal that would have bound together two of America's biggest publishers, Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House, has just about come unglued. Bertelsmann, a German media giant and PRH's parent, announced the plan in 2020. But earlier this month, a judge blocked the $2.2 billion merger on antitrust grounds. Simon & Schuster's owner has reportedly declined to join a legal appeal to save it. And fact of the day. 90%. The percentage of its revenue that FIFA makes from the World Cup. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Long Road Ahead for Evergrande On Monday, a plot of land in Shenzhen, a city in South China, will go up for auction. It was supposed to be the new headquarters for Evergrande, but thoughts of a shiny new office are far off for the struggling Chinese property developer. The company is months behind schedule for releasing a plan on restructuring its massive debts. The group, which has some $300 billion in liabilities, has been the bellwether for China's embattled property industry. It defaulted in December, promising to produce a restructuring plan within six months, but investors remain in the dark. The Chinese government recently announced measures that will help distressed property firms. Bank loans for some companies that were due in the next six months can now be extended. But it is unclear how much this will help Evergrande, which is still being forced to hawk assets, such as the land in Shenzhen, to avoid collapse. After COP27, hopes for climate mitigation look to Dubai. After the torturous brokering of COP27 finally ended, Franz Timmermans, the EU's lead negotiator, took the floor. Tomorrow, he told delegates, we start preparing for COP28. Like many, Mr. Timmermans was disappointed that the summit in Egypt did not go further to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. He also stressed the need for countries at the next conference, which will be held in Dubai in November 2023, to make a firm commitment to reduce their use of all fossil fuels. That might be tricky. Oil and natural gas power the economy of the United Arab Emirates, the next host. Alongside other petrostates, it fought to stop fossil fuels from being discussed more highly in Sharm el-Sheikh. And although the biggest breakthrough at COP27 was the agreement to establish a loss and damage fund to help vulnerable countries recover after disasters, the details of how that fund might operate will now have to be agreed. Twitter's Mass Unfollowing Soon after becoming Twitter's owner, chief executive, and only board member on October 27th, Elon Musk ordered staff to stop working from home and get back to the office. Last Thursday, they received an email announcing, without explanation, that the firm's San Francisco headquarters were closed. On Monday, the office will reopen. The question is, how many staff will come back? If Mr. Musk's three weeks in charge have looked chaotic from the outside, the latest, reinstating Donald Trump's account following an online poll, internally they have been even bumpier. He sacked half the employees in the first week, and later laid off contractors moderating content. Last week, he ordered remaining staff to recommit to, quote, extremely hardcore work, or leave. Many reportedly walked. Twitter had been overstaffed relative to peers, but the scale and speed of the exodus is destabilizing. Mr. Musk warned recently that Twitter could run out of money. Before that, it may run out of people. Kosovo and Serbia look for a deal. Albin Kurti, Kosovo's prime minister, and Aleksandr Vucic, Serbia's president, meet in Brussels on Monday as the EU seeks to calm the latest tensions between the Balkan neighbors. The meeting coincides with a deadline set by Kosovo for drivers in mostly ethnically Serb areas 
to ditch Serbia-issued license plates or face a fine when driving in Kosovo. Kosovo, where the majority of people are ethnic Albanians, declared independence from Serbia in 2008. Although 117 countries recognize it internationally, Serbia does not. The latest spat, which has prompted Kosovo Serbs to quit some of the country's institutions, has only increased tensions. Even if Messrs. Kurti and Vucic can cobble together a deal on number plates, more needed is an agreement on major issues such as the proposed creation of an association of Kosovo-Serb municipalities. But that would require unpopular political risks, which neither leader is willing to take. In Glass Onion, Hollywood Targets the Mega-Rich In 2019, Ryan Johnson, a director, introduced viewers to the camp murder mystery of Knives Out, starring Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, a detective extraordinaire, sniffing out a killer in a clique of entitled snobs in Massachusetts. Now Mr. Johnson is back with Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, another mind-bendingly intricate whodunit starring Mr. Craig, this time set on a private Greek island. Mr. Johnson's delightfully colorful and clever comedy, which is released in America and Britain on November 23rd, is part of an intriguing trend. Two other recent releases have crass, multimillionaires getting their bloody comeuppance on small islands. The Menu, starring Rafe Fiennes as a vengeful celebrity chef, and Triangle of Sadness, the winner of the Palme d'Or at this year's Cannes Film Festival. Hollywood has tended to revere the super-rich, but now it seems that the knives are out. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Blood, gray, and fox are all followed by which suffix? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Voltaire, who was born on this day in 1694. We should be considerate to the living. To the dead, we owe only the truth. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening 